So Michelle and Jackie, if you guys will come on out, you guys give them a, a round of applause for, for coming out. So they're going to share a little bit of their story, and uh, Jackie here actually has the honor of going on both of the mission trips that we've done so far, and uh, a little Spanish, a little Spanish, Paquito Spanish, that's right. And uh, so Jackie, one of the ones that I went on, I guess, last, uh, last July, and so Jackie's ex-military, so anytime it seemed a little scary, I was like, get him, Jackie. You know, anyway, so he, he protected us. He was private security detail for the rest of us, but, uh, but Jackie, why don't you share with us just maybe an experience that you had and ultimately why it's worth people, people going on something like this from your experience. All right, for you guys that don't know me, my name is Jackie Elmore, born and raised right here in Orangeburg, um, retired military. Um, I guess the first thing I need to say to you guys is uh, sometimes you got to step out your comfort zone, and the comfort zone is the big thing. Um, you give me a hammer and some tools, I'm inside my comfort zone. Um, give me a mission to go out and do missionary work and then I'm a little out of my comfort zone, and I was out of my comfort zone, but then um, something say, just be yourself. And everything worked out fine. So all the people that volunteered the last time to go, they actually stepped out of their comfort zone and went and took a trip to Guatemala, and they found out that what they were worried about was no need to worry about anyway, because everything worked out fine. Um, like I was telling the first service, um, there we had meager um, equipment and stuff to work with. So everybody got together, we were gonna paint a wall. We didn't have enough paint to do the whole wall, so we decided to do half the wall correctly. Or we could have sprayed it out and the whole wall would have been painted, but it wouldn't have looked good. So we painted the wall and uh, some women were going to do some mission stuff and. I was standing there by myself and I was looking at the wall and it seemed like the more the wall dried, the better it looked. So I'm watching the wall and then this older gentleman came walking down the road and I'm a people person so I talked to everybody. So I turned around and I was like, Buenos dias, and he's bien. And he walked off, had a little smile on his face and he went to the end of the corner and he stopped and he turned around and he came back and he, we carried on a conversation, him in broken English and me in meager Spanish. But the gist of the conversation that I got, um, he said, thank you for coming to my country, to my neighborhood, and painting this wall and making it look good. And he had a little tear running down his face. And I tell you what, that made me feel happy, even though what I did was something that I would consider insignificant, but to him meant a great deal. So a lot of the things that we have that we take for granted, just don't worry about it. To them, it means the whole world. And I tell you, when I came home, the first thing I did when I got in the house, I went to the cabinet, got a glass, got a glass of water, and I drank a glass of water. To me, that was just something insignificant, something that I do every day. But to them, that means the world because they don't have, they can't walk in their house and just get clean drinking water to drink. So it doesn't mean much to us, but it means the world to them. Yeah, yeah, that's good. Thank you, Mr. Jackie. Appreciate that, yeah.
course, a lot of you guys will recognize uh, Miss Michelle. She leads us to worship oftentimes. But Michelle, first mission trip you've been on. Obviously had some, some nerves and all going into it. So tell us maybe a little story and, again, a why this is important and really why people should strongly consider going on the next one. So um, this is my first ever missions trip, and I was so excited yet nervous and anxious because, you know, it's the unknown, you know, never going to a new country, um, culture difference, language barrier, all those things. Um, and so, um, and, and like I said in first service, you know, you hear all the horror stories on the news, you know, all these things. And so um, I was a little na- anxious and not my daughter, you know, was going with me and I'm like, I'm gonna have to protect her. And then I found out I didn't need to because I had Mr. Jackie. And so it was okay. And, going to um, with Jackie. Just go on a trip with Jackie. As long as no he's pressure. going, you're good, no right? And so, um, so from the time we got there. Um on Sunday actually was confirmation for me that God was with us the whole time. And it was just, um, for me, it was a spiritual renewal. Um, I thought I was going to bless people. I was going to share the gospel. You know, I was going to serve. But guess what? It was the opposite. I was the one blessed. I was the one served. And so from the time on Sunday morning when we got in church and we got to sing together songs we sing here, but in two languages, it was just this overwhelming emotion came over me. God was there. And so um, his presence was with us every single day. That was my prayer before I left. Lord, I want to see your glory. I want to see your beauty. And he did just that um, from sunrises, sunsets, the people, the place we stayed at. Um, we were safe. We were okay. He had us covered. And I never once felt in, uh, well, unsafe. But God doesn't call us to a place of safety, right, as Christians. Um, And I really appreciate your message this morning. Wait, do you hear it? It goes all along with that. Slow down, slow down. I want to. But it goes all along with. I'm not going to tell. I'm not going to spoil it. Keep it low and then take it off anyway. But it does. It's just like. Yes, but God was there. God is in that place. Pray for the people of Guatemala, the people that are serving, the pastors, the missionaries already in place. And I'm telling you, if you can go, go. If you have just an inkling, just an inkling that you're like, oh, I might want to do that. Step out. Like Mr. Jackie said, step out of your comfort zone and go. It's life changing. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you guys so much. Y'all give a round of applause. So... We don't have a, a trip planned um, at this very moment. We have some, some dates that we're kind of trying to work out with them. So when that time comes, you know, we'll let you guys know. We'll have a, an interest meeting of anybody that's interested. Uh, but I really do believe it's something worth your while to eventually go on. So maybe start praying about that now. Maybe even putting some money aside, things like that. And to finish this off, just a really quick video, slideshow video, just showing a few things of what they did, and then we'll get going with the message.
check. There I am. Uh, all right, and thank you all to any of you that went on that trail. I think it was 18 total, and so what an awesome time they had. Gonna jump into it. We have been in a series called On Earth As in Heaven, taken from the prayer that Jesus teaches us to pray in Matthew 6, and taking that to not just mean something figurative, but believing that Jesus actually meant in this wild way that the kingdom of heaven can be seen and experienced in some capacity here on earth. And that's not just something that we're praying hopefully to the future. It certainly is that too, but also something that we can live in now. And so what we've been trying to do in this series to kind of catch everybody's mind back up is to say that actually in a large way or in some ways that has happened, that we live in a culture that that is living off of, in some cases, the remnants, but it's certainly a Christian society, the, the West, you know, the Americas, Europe, and other places you know, in the world, that we are living off of these Christian ideas and ideals, and that's why we have gotten rid of things like slavery. That's why we have this idea of human rights and, and, and that, that the life of the person, whether they're rich or poor, regardless of the color, that everybody has value as an image bearer of God. All of that, again, is a Christian idea and a Christian idea only. And so what's happening, though, is the concern that we've been talking about is that what happens, though, when the water that we're swimming in, which is Christian, whether you know it or not, it is, but while what happens when the culture around us, though, continues to become more secular? And I think that's a lot of the tension that we're seeing in our culture and society, and not just in our country, really in the world. And so what we're trying to realize and own is the fact that the world that we love so much and so many of the ideals that we hold, hold dear comes from a Christian way of look, living, comes from a Christian way of thinking that in some cases, by valuing people regardless of who they are, is a part of what heaven on earth looks like. That going and serving the poor in another country that can never give you anything or your neighbor next door is all what heaven on earth can look like. And so I think the analogy that I had in my head is that we're living in a way, our culture is living almost like if you had a, a rich great-grandparent who started a business and had all these millions of dollars, but if the money hasn't been taken care of well, by the time you get to the grandchildren or the great-grandchildren, they may think that they have money, but in reality, they don't have any, and I think that's what's happening a little bit in our society, is that what happens when our society begins to walk away from the very Christian core ideas and tenets that have made our lives honestly so good what happens when we start to abandon the christ because you can't have the ideas without the christ and that's what's worrisome but there's hope in that and so what we've been looking at is different topics and today i want to look at a topic all uh, called happiness and that's not new to you the idea of happiness because we live in a culture of happiness matter of fact i think we live in a culture that is actually a little bit of a cult of happiness, meaning that we value and actually sacrifice a ton to the ideas of happiness. Now, there are a lot of things that can make us happy and a lot of good things that make us happy. And the point of this is not that happiness is bad. No, happiness is good. I think happiness is a gift from God. But any gift from God taken outside of its proper context then kind of becomes a curse. It becomes something that we pursue but will never give us what we really want. And that's what happiness has become. And so in this 
culture, this cult of happiness, we are pursuing the feeling of happiness all the time. And culture says this, you need to be happy at all cost. Now, we could really dive deep into this. We're not going to do that. A lot of this comes out of this hedonistic, you know, materialistic society that we live in because most of the time we think of, well, what makes us happy? And you can answer that, what makes you happy? Most of the time, if it's not something like family, it's going to be more than likely either stuff or experiences. And again, not often bad things. I know something that makes me happy is that when me and my wife can put like a little trip on the calendar, even if it's six months in the future, it's like, oh, man. I got something to look forward to. Like, it's okay to be happy. You know what else makes me happy, to be honest? Food. Man, makes me so happy. Just so, so happy. Like, why isn't church already not over, right? So we just go get food because we don't be happy. But the problem is, I can have a good experience at a restaurant, a really good meal, and then hit traffic on the way home, and guess who's not happy anymore? Because happy is based on your circumstances. You know, it's outside pressures coming in really determine whether you're happy or not. And of course, we have then this cult of happiness, culture of happiness, of where we try to maintain our happiness. And we even have evangelists in this cult of happiness that we live in. Uh, an example of this is the guy named Jim Ron. Uh, you probably have never heard of him. He's, he's passed away uh, 10, 15 years ago. Uh, he wrote a book called How to Obtain Wealth and Happiness, because that's how we typically do it in a materialistic, hedonistic society. Happiness equals wealth, wealth equals happiness, so if we can all be rich, we can all be happy, and that's the utopia idea of America, which is a lie, by the way, because it's funny, on that note real fast, every single person that has ever gone on like a mission trip, and this message isn't about mission trip, but it's a good example, they go and they come back saying the same thing, everybody over there just seems so happy, they don't hardly have clean drinking water, you know, they don't have the healthcare systems that we do, they live in poverty, they walk everywhere, but you talk to them, they just seem so, so much more happy than we do. And we come in thinking that we have the corner market on happiness, and maybe, maybe it's just because more doesn't always equal better. Like, you have more to watch right now on television. I don't think we're better off from that. I don't think that the greater selection of things at the grocery store actually mean things are better. No, I just think we just have more but less quality of everything. And I think the same applies with happiness. But back to this Jim Ron guy, author of How to Attain Wealth and Happiness. He had a quote that happiness is not something you postpone to the future. That's dumb. You don't postpone happiness. No, it is something that you design, you bring into, you try to control in the present. You want to have it now. Uh, just so you know, this guy is, was a mentor to people like Tony Robbins. You, you know, for probably Tony Robbins. He's not as popular now, but he's the you know, self-help guru and you know, all that kind of stuff like that. Not a Christian guy, life coach, motivational guru. So this leads then to our culture having statements like this that you've heard. And again, sometimes it's not bad, but let's, let's start at the not bad. If blank doesn't make you happy, then change it. And a positive of that would be, well, if your current health status maybe isn't making you happy, well, well, then change it. Start going to the gym, start eating healthier, getting up early, going to bed earlier, whatever. Maybe your current job really isn't making you happy. Well, it's okay. Like, there's a lot of opportunities out there. That's, that's the beautiful thing about our, our, our life and our country. Maybe go find something else that maybe makes you more happy. The places that this gets dangerous, though, because again, what is a cult of happiness? Happiness must be pursued at all costs. Then you have statements like this. Well, if your spouse isn't making you happy, then what? 
Nobody wants to say it. Find another one. Now look, I'm not trying to be outrageous. I have read that numerous places. That your happiness is up to you and you can't depend on anybody else to make you happy. So if the person you have chosen to spend your life with is not making you happy, it is up to you. It is your right and responsibility to find somebody who will. That's devastating. And I would like to point out, not a very Christian way of thinking. So how have we gotten to here as a culture, in a culture that I have continually said that actually is Christian water that we're all swimming in, whether we recognize it or not. Even, and I would even go to say so far as this, even someone who claims to be an atheist is a Christian thinking atheist. They not, not, might not believe in a God, but they sure do think a lot like a Christian in how they value other people and what they think are the right responsibilities of our society. It's interesting how that seems to happen. Along with this pursuit of happiness has also led, also led to some bad outcomes for society. It's pretty common for somebody to feel like their life or they're failing in life because they're not happy. I think that's perpetuated by our constant overload from social media and the internet of always watching other people who we assume to be happy. We have even statements about it. We're living vicariously through other people and their experiences, but in reality, what are we doing? We are judging our own circumstances and happiness based on what we see on our phone. Because the truth is, shocker, they might not be as happy as you think. Matter of fact, the statistics are showing that most people Aren't. Matter of fact, and again, I want to be very gentle with this, but I think it's worth knowing that there has been a 400% increase. This is like a huge government study was done between 1988 to 2008, a 400% increase in the use of antidepressants in our country. Now, I'm not saying that antidepressants are bad. Far from it. I think that there are absolutely times and seasons for that. But what has happened that in just 20 years, and it hasn't gone back down. I mean, it's only continued to rise. Not quite at that same rate, but it has continued to rise in every age demographic, including teens and preteens. What is going on in our culture to where the only way we can seem to survive and be happy is to take something that actually changes how we perceive and think? And again, that, that may be necessary for you, and I'm not a doctor. You certainly need to talk about that, but it's still interesting, right? Like, I'm not the only one that thinks that, that 400%, that's tremendous. What's happening? Well, what happens is, is when you start to realize that the pursuit of happiness is impossible, that you can chase happiness, and part of the chasing leads you to become less happy. Well, there's a Christian response to this, and we don't actually use the term happy usually in Christianity, do we? We have another word. So if you've been to church before, you know what that word is, three-letter word called joy. Joy, right. Happy, happy, happy. I mean, it's a song like that. Anyway, we're not going to sing. Joy and so the, the truth, though, is, is that we don't use joy a lot because I think joy sounds like a churchy word, so then we kind of supplant it to be happy. But the difference, actually, there's a big difference between joy and happiness, though. I would say that happiness, while, again, a good thing, is a fleeting thing. Joy is a very different thing, as we're going to learn today. And so let's look at a story in which Jesus is actually explaining to his disciples his vision, his version of what his joy that he gives actually is. John 16, starting in verse 16. Jesus begins talking to the disciples, in a little while you will no longer see me, and again, in a little while you will 
see me. He's speaking in a riddle, which is actually kind of common for Jesus. He would tell a story in a difficult way. Uh, I believe that is because Jesus isn't just telling us, trying to tell us how to think. The Bible, Jesus, is trying to teach you how to think, just so you know. 17, then some of his disciples said to one another, what is this he's telling us? That in a little while you will not see me again. In a little while you will see me. And because I'm going to the Father, like what is he talking about? Uh, But they said, what is he saying in a little while? We don't know what he's talking about. 19, Jesus knew they wanted to ask him. And so he said to them, are you asking one another about what I said? In a little while you will not see me again. And of course he's responding. Verse 20, truly I tell you, you will weep and mourn. Not the moral of the story I think they were looking for, to be honest with you. Hey guys, you will weep and mourn. Your hearts will be crushed. But the world will rejoice. Don't worry, because you know what's worse when you're being sad? When you're sad and everybody around you is happy? Actually, when their happiness is coming from your sadness. Isn't that a great place to be? You're the only one crying? Anybody remember that from middle school? Maybe? Just me? Okay, whatever. That's fine. Just come out in therapy. It's no big deal. Whatever. He keeps going, you will become sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn to joy. See, when a woman is in labor, she has pain because her time has come. But when she gives birth to a child, she no longer remembers the suffering because of the joy that a person has been brought into the world. See, what a beautiful picture. After pain comes joy. So you will have sorrow now, but I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice. And no one, no one, this is a really big statement, no one will take away your joy from you. Wow. Wow. Let's think about that. So what Jesus is talking about here is, of course, his soon-to-come death and resurrection. Of course, we're reading this story in hindsight, knowing what the disciples at that moment did not know. So Jesus speaks in a riddle. There will be a moment when you won't see me. And then, after a short while, you'll see me again. And of course, they now we all know what that meant. But I I don't think we can fathom that in those moments between the crucifixion and the resurrection, because let's let's put this into just a brief context. You've been following this guy. The disciples have been following this guy. Many of them have given up their life and livelihood. Following Jesus around, they are now convinced that he is God in flesh, the Messiah, the promised one from heaven. Not just because of what he says, because of what he has done. At this point, Jesus is not only healed and walked on water and calmed storms and fed thousands of people off of just a small meal. He has brought a guy back to life. But then, how crazy is it He's God, and yet Rome still kills him. Have you thought about that? How powerful is Rome if not only in the last hundred years have they taken your homeland from you, enslaved you, making you and your family and your, and your ancestral land pay their taxes to some wicked pagan emperor thousands of miles away. When God comes to the planet, they kill him. Like you think about that. Pontius Pilate put Jesus to the cross. The religious leaders crucify him, and they put him to death. The sorrow that they must have felt. But then, of course, that sorrow turned to what? Joy. Why? Well, because Jesus, three days later, 
walks out of the tomb. And so then the promise of your hearts will rejoice and no one will take your joy from you. So obviously joy is something very different than happiness because what do we know about the disciples and their ministry? I'm just simple yes and no questions here. You can respond back, not trick questions. From what we know of the disciples, post-resurrection and ascension of Jesus, when they started the ministry, was it easy on them? Yes or no? No, absolutely not. Were they well-liked? No. Uh, Were they ever financially well-off? Nope. Uh, Did they gain any political power or status? Matter of fact, legend tells us that every one of the disciples, except for the Apostle John, uh, were all martyred, some of them in pretty horrific ways. Legend tells us that uh, Peter was crucified, again, a horrific way to die, and John didn't get off easy. He He was exiled to an island for the rest of his life to live in solitude, so I guess he couldn't tell people about Jesus, but don't worry, he wrote 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John and the book of Revelations there, so God worked it out anyway. I'm just telling you that they did not walk into a happy life, but they lived a joyful life. So joy and happiness are very different, and so we can learn two things. One, Joy is not happiness because happiness is a feeling. Happiness is something that you chase, not something that you have, not something that like is a part of you. And number two, joy is not empty of sorrow and pain. Matter of fact, what Jesus is actually teaching us here is that the birthplace of joy often starts in pain. That's the difference of happiness. Happiness doesn't come from pain. Happiness is an escape away from pain where joy actually can be found inside of and coming out of. And again, why does he use the the illustration of a birth? Of course, I'm not a woman, but I have a wife. We have three kids. And you know what's crazy? Regardless of how traumatic the birth is, listen, Allison almost died after her second kid. And you know what? But for the joy of our children, you're like, let's do it again. What insanity is that, right? Some of y'all women, look, go back in your family tree. Some of your great-grandmamas had like 12 kids, bro. Must have really loved kids back then. My goodness gracious. But joy isn't empty of pain and sorrow. It actually comes from it. So so here's a good working definition of joy that I kind of pulled together from several different resources I think is pretty, pretty good. The Christian joy is a settled emotional state. It's still an emotional thing, still a mind and a heart thing. The settled emotional state of contentment, confidence, and hope found in Jesus Christ. It's produced by the Spirit. It is, it is, a, it is a, a, a fruit of the Spirit and is cultivated, grown, kept growing by a close relationship with God. So I think maybe the best way to think about joy, because here's the problem that I, I faced. I felt like putting this together. We've all heard a joy sermon before. If you've been in church, you've heard a sermon on joy and how we're supposed to be joyful, you know, joyce in the Lord. Oh, that's what it is. Again, I say rejoice. Whatever. I'll sing it alone in my car. So I want to think of joy in a different way. And I believe that I believe that the Lord kind of brought it to mind. I want you to think of it this way, that joy is like momentum. Matter of fact, the momentum of joy. So what I mean by momentum, uh, if you've ever been to Gatlinburg, Tennessee, and you went to, you walk on the street and you go in front of the, the Ripley's, believe it or not, they have one of these things, one of those things. It's like a 5,000 pound smooth boulder of granite that's been honed down to be perfectly um, symmetrical. And it's sitting on some sort of platform in a bed of water. And of course, you walk up to it and you're, you know, your brain tells you, that's not going to move. You know, that's not going to move. But of course, 
It's got this magical kind of thing where you start to push it. And even like a kid can start to push it. And, and what's really cool is even though it's a little tough to get going at first, man, you get a few people in on it, I mean, that thing really starts to move. Once it starts to move, though, because by the laws of physics, of which I didn't do really well in science, but they tell me some sort of scientific magic happens, and it's really difficult to stop. Why? Because it has momentum. And I think that's what joy actually is. See, momentum, it, it, it's difficult to get going sometimes, but once it is going, it is impossible to stop. And so joy is like momentum. Why would I say that? Because number one, joy is not based on circumstances. Joy is the power to get you through them. Joy carries you forward and through. See, what joy does is it helps the lows not be so low, but it helps the highs be even better. See, joy doesn't get squashed when bad things come. It strengthens your back and your mind. Why? Because joy is not based on how you feel. It is based on what you believe. I mean, I think children bring joy, but they don't always make you happy. I'm not happy with mine every night at 7.30 when it takes what seems like three hours and World War III to clean the living room. It's unbelievable. We've been doing it for 10 years now. Nobody has figured out how to do it yet. But they bring me such joy. Why? Because of what I think, know, and hope for them. And so what is Christian joy? It is not us feeling good in the spirit. It's not even us having a good worship. I think worship can make you happy. I think worship can make you more joyful. But your joy ultimately comes from believing and trusting and knowing that God is good, that he has your back, that he's working all things out, that it goes before you, that you can trust him, you can seek his face. He's knowable. He's not distant. That's the joy of being a Christian. See, now, I don't want to just say this like it's my opinion that joy is not based on circumstance. I'm just going to read several verses that I think will highlight this. We're just going to burn through them real fast. They don't have to be explained. James 1, the brother of Jesus, by the way, he says this. Wonderful opening line to a letter, by the way. Second, second statement in. Hey, consider it great joy, my brother and sisters, whenever you experience various trials. Um, no thank you. I don't think that's the way I really want to feel. But why is James saying that? Because he knows that joy is not happiness. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its full effect so that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. See, I think our cult of happiness, what that does is instead of us allowing endurance and maturity to grow our joy, instead of us allowing joy to have the momentum, we actually squash our joy because we're constantly chasing happiness. If you're chasing happiness, you can't go through bad things. What does happiness sound like when bad things come? God, why have you forgotten me? God, why don't you love me? Why have you abandoned me? I've done all the right things. Why is this happening to me? Why me? That's what happiness says. But joy says, of course it's me. Thank you. I know you're growing me. You don't send me through something alone. And you always know where you're wanting to take me. Romans 12. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in affliction and be persistent in prayer. Share with the saints in all their need. Pursue hospitality and bless those who curse you. Bless and do not curse. That can only come from a joyful heart. The words of Jesus himself in Matthew 5. You are blessed when they insult you and persecute you. See, you thought it was just your mama when they were picking on you. It says, baby, they're just jealous of you. Listen, maybe she, your mama's kind of right because Jesus says, bless you when you are cursed 
and they persecute you and falsely say all sorts of kind of evil things against you because of me. Be glad and what? Rejoice. Be joyful because your reward is great in heaven. Hebrews 12. I just love this verse. Spoke about it the other week, but let us run with endurance the race that lies before us, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. I love this statement here. For the what? The joy. For the joy set before him, what did Jesus do? He endured the cross, despising the shame, and is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God for the joy that lay before him. Listen, what was Jesus' joy? It was obeying the Father and what he knew he was doing for you. We, us, his people, we were the momentum that enabled Jesus, even Jesus, to have the joy to go to the cross. I don't think Jesus was happy there, but he was still full of joy because he was in the Father's will. I think that is an incredibly powerful idea. And what I have, I have been trying to do, honestly, even in my own heart, because I don't want you to think that like I get it all, um, and the series has been really a challenge for me, as I think it always should be for all of us. It's God's word. It should challenge us. Is I just wonder if maybe that's the problem with society at large. Because you know, like, there are still a ton of professing Christians, like, in this country, in the West, in Europe, and other places like that. You know, these, these almost post-Christian countries that we kind of want to live in. I mean, the vast majority of people in this country, the vast majority of people in our government, like, claim to be Christians. Now, it's easy to claim to be a Christian. Jesus also says, you will be known by your fruit, by the way. So just claiming it means that, doesn't mean that you are one. But I just wonder, though, is it that we have fallen for the lie of where we think happiness is the goal? And I know logically we're going to say, no, we know that's not right. But is that how we're living that out, though? Is that how I live it out? Is that how you live it out? That happiness isn't the main goal? Like it's actually okay? To be unhappy as long as you're full of the Spirit and you have the joy of the Lord in your life? Like that's actually possibly the better place to live in life, to have that kind of mindset that, you know what, maybe I just need to be unhappy for a while. Maybe that's actually the best thing. Maybe the blessing is actually in my unhappiness because God is trying to produce a more enduring, faithful, joyful heart in my life. And he can't if I'm constantly numb by just chasing simple things that make me happy, whether it's the TV show, whether it's relationships, whether it's chasing money or buying new things or skipping, going to different houses or going to different friends group or finding different churches, whatever it takes to make me happy because the cult of happiness says whatever it takes leave your spouse leave your kids because it ain't making you happy find something else and that is a lie from hell but joy but joy the joy set before him so number two obviously number one again joy is not based on circumstances number two joy must be maintained if it's momentum it has to be maintained even that giant boulder will eventually slow down so joy is something that needs to be maintained. I'm running out of time, but I want to, this is really important. Now, Hebrews 10 says, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of the faith. Draw near to God with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed pure, meaning, meaning leaving everything behind. 
Let us hold on to the confession, hold on to the, to the belief, our confession of our hope without wavering since he who promised and faithful so joy is first maintained through a close, genuine relationship with God. Listen, you can be happy without God, but it will crush you. But you cannot have joy without God because it only comes from him. That's just the way it works. It's, it's not me. That's not my opinion. That's how the Bible presents it. If you want joy, you have to have God's active presence in your life. It is a fruit of the Spirit. The Spirit must be present. Again, you can be happy. I don't think lost people are unhappy. I just think that the pursuit of it is crushing all of us. It is crushing us. So joy must be maintained through close relationship with God. Continues in Hebrews 10, verse 24, and also let us consider one another in order to provoke love and good works, not neglecting to gather together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging each other all the more as you see the day approaching. See, joy is also maintained by God's church through good works and through healthy relationships. Now, something I have really learned in the last several years that I, I truly didn't know I have learned how important it is for me to hear the testimony of God's faithfulness from other people in their life. I cannot tell you, let me start over. There have been several seasons in the last couple of years where I've had to face some heavy things, some hard things. I just got to be honest with you. It wasn't that the Bible wasn't working. I don't want to say that. The Word of God is always living and active. But what really produced confidence and joy in my heart is hearing someone else who had went through a similar thing and how God was faithful and brought them through. I, I can, that is worth more than gold. Guess what? That can only happen in relationship. And so if you want joy, it isn't just a private relationship with you and God. That's great. It starts there. It's the fruit of the Spirit. But it is maintained and cultivated. It is grown in relationship with one another. And I know the preachery thing to do to tell you y'all need to be in church all the time. But look, that is absolutely true. But it's more than that. It is being in Christian relationship with one another. I mean, obviously, we all know now that we can come and attend this thing like a movie theater, and you don't have to talk to nobody. Like, I'm not going to chase you down. You know, I mean, I guess I can, but it would be weird, and then you call the law, and it would just, it would just be a big mess, right? And we don't want any of those things. What you need to do is make it a priority in your own life. Now, I will say as a church, we try so hard to have as many good systems and processes that allow you to connect with other people. The fact is you don't all need to connect with me. Half of you might not even like me, and that's okay. You need to find people, though, that can be in your circle that when you're going through a hard time can help keep the momentum of joy going in your life. Because I'm telling you, it is a powerful, beautiful so lastly, and this is in closing, Christian joy, and it gives a type of freedom. Paul writes in Romans 14, therefore do not let your good be slandered, for the kingdom of God is not eating or drinking, let's pause there, the kingdom of God is not pursuing things that always make you feel good or make you happy, because what is eating and drinking? It's happiness. It's happiness. It feels good. Like if you have not eaten all day 
and then you finally get that meal like, oh, heavens, the dopamine rush, right? Like, this is what I was made for. But the kingdom of heaven is not that. It's not what it's made of. It includes that. It includes happy things. Absolutely. God, God made it. God made all of those things. But it's not, doesn't, it's not made of that. What is the kingdom of God made of? It is made of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. See, the kingdom of God is joy. So, so what does on earth as in heaven look like practically as far as joy is concerned? I think this is some good ways. When we are full of the joy of the Lord, we, we love more fiercely. We hope stronger. We forgive much faster. We humble far more quickly. We persevere longer. We give more generously. We believe more deeply. See, what does, what does joy sound like in our life? It has a, man, it has a song. It's got a rhythm. See, Christian joy says, I know I don't have it all together, but I don't have to. Because Jesus loves and saved me anyway. I'm not perfect. That's not what joy is. Happiness actually carries an idea of perfect because everything's got to be perfect for me to be happy. And it will never be perfect. Thus, maybe you'll never be happy. But you can have joy because joy is in spite of mistakes and messes. That was the joy of the Lord. He went to the cross for you, a sinner. He went to the cross for you on your worst day. That's the joy of the Lord. See, Christian joy says, even though you meant to hurt me, and while you possibly, probably did, that hurt cannot overcome the joy that I have in my heart and life through Jesus Christ. Like, you can hurt me, yes, but you cannot hurt me that, that much. Don't think you have that much power over me. Because I am fueled by the momentum of the joy of God's kingdom. Christian joy says that even though the nightmare is dark and maybe my morning has dampened my joy, it has not killed it. It has not crushed it because I still realize that joy cannot be extinguished as long as I am found in my God. And that as the scripture says, there may be sorrow in the night, but joy comes there's always joy on the horizon. That's what that means. If joy was a, was a sunrise, that's, that's what it is. Joy is the sunrise on the kingdom of heaven. I just I love pictures, and I think it's helpful to, to put those things in our mind. It is the momentum that can get us up out of bed when we feel like everything in our life is making us unhappy and we feel miserable, but we don't have to actually be miserable because we have a certain momentum in our life because I know that at the end of it all, God is working all things out for my good. I believe that God is good. I believe that I can trust him. Even when my heart is shattered, that does not mean my joy has left. I can allow it to leave. I want you to misunderstand me. But if I maintain the momentum, it will carry me through. Christian joy is not the absence of sadness, but it gives us a unique ability to endure the sadness that, listen, every one of us will experience. I think some of you right now, if I can maybe be a pastor for a moment to you, is that you are struggling. You are disappointed. And you don't maybe know exactly who 
a little bit of it is you're scared to maybe even say God you're just disappointed in it all and you have probably done most things right and I want to tell you that happiness will not get you there but joy can so maybe what needs to happen is you need to settle in your mind what you think you know what is it that you know about God who is he really in your life the momentum of joy you guys will stand with me I want to close in a prayer but specifically what I the kind of prayer I want to pray is I want to pray for any of you that maybe has figured out today decided today that you actually don't have a personal relationship with Jesus. And so we're not asking Jesus to come into our hearts, not how it works anyways. It's the Spirit of God that comes into our heart and our life and, and He makes us new. But what we're asking today is what Scripture says, if you pray with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, that means that you believe for real, you believe it, that He is the King, the ruler over everything, your mind, your body, your will, past, present, and future. That's what salvation is is for Christian. So if you want to bow your head, close your eye. Um, you don't have to pray it very loud, but you can just repeat after me or something similar to what I'm going to pray. Say, Jesus, today, for the first time, I recognize you as the ultimate king and authority in my life. Everything I have been that I ever was or that I ever will be, I now give over to you pray that this very moment that your spirit would come and change my heart from the inside out, my mind from the inside out. I don't want to think like the way I've always thought. I don't want to feel the way I have been feeling. Jesus, if this joy thing is for real, I want it because I am exhausted from constantly trying to be happy. So I surrender that to you. I ask that you forgive me of how I have fallen short. The mistakes that I have made, the things that I have done out of anger or rebellion against you or anyone else. I forgive those who have wronged me. I hold nothing. I come to you now, humbled, and submit to your rule. In Jesus' name, I pray. Let's worship before we close.